Good morning. You know, we've been going through the book of John, I think, for about a year now. It's like the 37th message in the book of John. And, um, and I just want to say, uh, it's been a, it's up to this point, Jesus' ministry has been primarily a public ministry, doing miracles and signs and, and identifying himself as the Messiah. And from this point forward, it's going to take a much more personal tone. He's going to narrow the field and spend time with his disciples and those who he loves. And, and as we see this, um, we'll see this continue throughout the book of John. But one thing we know uh, for certain, uh, there's three things in life that we can't escape. Death taxes, and poor leadership. You know, and I came, across a, I came across a story this week about this large organization that hired several cannibals. Now, if you're a cannibal today, I'm not trying to offend you or disrespect you in any way. But, um, but after conducting a lengthy uh, new hire orientation, the Human Resources Department congratulated the cannibals and said... Congratulations, you're part of the team now. You get the full benefits package. In fact, you can eat at the cafe for free. But please, don't eat any of the other employees. And they all agreed. They all agreed. And after a few weeks, the boss came up and and was very pleased and said, Hey, you guys are working really hard. I really appreciate your work ethic. Um, But I'm a little worried. One of the secretaries has come up missing. Do you know anything about it? And they were like, no, we don't know anything about it. So after, after the boss left, the leader of the cannibals stood up and said, come on, guys, who ate the secretary? And one of them from the back, kind of a hesitant hand raised up, and he's like, what are you doing? We've been eating managers for weeks and nobody noticed. You have to go and eat somebody important? <laughs> okay, and we chuckle because we know, personally or through stories, uh, stories that we can relate to about bad management and, and poor bosses in our lifetime. You know, and it really is no wonder why we have leadership problems in our world today. Because we don't train our children up to be good leaders. I mean, think about it. What do we do? We have them play a game called follow the leader where the kid at the front of the line has all the other kids lining up behind him, and they're trying to do things that the other ones can't so that they get knocked out of the game. We're training our children to believe that leadership is it's your job to make everybody else fail so that you can stay on top. And I do think that philosophy has, uh, or that mentality has passed and filtered its way from childhood to the business world. But luckily, Jesus isn't one of those leaders, and we're going to see this today. Um, It's not clicking. Can you guys take care of that upstairs? There we go. All right. Jesus is the humble servant that we all uh, need. And uh, go ahead and turn to John 1, or John 13, 1 through 20. It's on page 900, I believe. Um, and, and let me just read that. It's, uh, now it's before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, 
When the devil had already put it into uh, the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking on a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, don't wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share in me. And Simon Peter then said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Wash me all over. Jesus said to him, the one who has been bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. And truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread lifted his heel against me. And I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. You know, and through this passage... Um, through this passage, Jesus examples humility in leadership. And he reveals that he and the Father are humble. You know, and how does, he, how does he reveal to us that the Father himself is humble? Because Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. When you see me, you see the Father. Throughout biblical history, God has been painstakingly painting a portrait of who he is and how he has cared for our well-being. In the garden, when everything was created in the perfect environment for us, and everything was good, and he gave us the best opportunity for success, we failed. And yet, what did he do? He came to the garden, and he met our need there. And he revealed himself to us throughout history also that, that we may know him in, in other ways, finally culminating in his son, that perfect representation of him, Jesus Christ. And everything Jesus did and how he did it represents the Father perfectly. He represents the Father perfectly in human form so we can understand in our finite manner who God really is. Let me ask you, what do we do with that? You know, what did we do when we could really truly see the heart of God. We crucified him. 
We crucified him. But, but still, even then, he's showing us the heart of the Father, that he is caring, that he is humble, that he is loving. And even through his death, he is taking care of us. And he's taking care of us and serving us in a humble manner. And in this passage, he takes on the form of a servant, as we should. He even says, do it. You know, and leaders throughout history, leaders throughout history have been all about being served. They've been about, about wielding their power, not humbling themselves to serve others. Yet Jesus taught us that in leadership and power is about servanthood. And in fact, in this passage too, one thing, the, the foot washing was considered like the absolute low of humility and service. And it was such a low position that a, that a leader or a teacher would never, ever consider it. And not just think about it and then decide against it. It wouldn't even be on their radar. It wouldn't even be a consideration. It was so lowly a task, so lowly a task, that even Jewish slaves were exempt from performing this task. And it was reserved for the Gentile slaves to do. You know, Pharisees and rulers, they would never take a position of loneliness. You know, as we've seen throughout John, as we've seen up through the first 12 chapters of John, the Pharisees were more concerned about their power and about their position and about their influence to actually lower themselves to serve the people that they were supposed to be leading. They were, they were more interested in the law and their appearances that they missed the law. They missed what the law was stating. You know, and therefore, they rebuked and even went after Jesus when he was truly living out the law perfectly. You know, the law was given to serve the people. It was given to show us our need for God. And it was given to us to cause us to turn to God to meet that need. And Jesus demonstrated that through, through simple servanthood. And we see in Isaiah, or uh, Philippians, we see in Philippians, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We couldn't understand it. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And don't we even do that in our culture today? Those people that serve, those people that are humble, we do exalt them. When we think of like people that really have done that, like Mother Teresa and, and Martin Luther King Jr., those people who have given everything to serve for the betterment of the people, wow, these people are amazing. And it's the same with God, since he humbled himself. His name is exalted. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And if we truly understand the humility that Jesus portrayed for us, we couldn't help but react that way. And Jesus here becomes a servant just like he became a man 
in that passage. Not, not laying down what he already had. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't lay down his authority. He didn't lay down his divinity. But he assumed something that he did not have to that point. Humanity. And another way of saying this is, is just as God became a man, so the king became a servant. Jesus didn't stop being God when he became flesh, but he humbled himself and took humanity upon himself, but never stopped being God. And if a king were to humble themselves to serve the people under him, he doesn't stop being the king. He picks up the role of a servant as well. But you don't see kings doing that and rulers doing that because, because of their fear of losing their position of authority in the minds of the people and maybe even in the minds of their enemies. That they would see this as a sign of weakness and not strength. And this is what is wrong, I believe, partly with our political system today. Because many of us, uh, many of us believe that most, if not all, of our politicians are more concerned with keeping their positions of power than they are about serving the people. And, and, it, and instead of doing what's best for the people, they do what is most politically expedient for them. And I think that's why we have such a distrust for the government. But Jesus wasn't concerned with power or appearances. This act of humility that he performed is a violation of 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 social customs to such a degree it is such a violation of social customs there is no fitting comparison and I'll tell you we have just begun to be prepared for the horrific humility and absurdity of the cross as Jesus got up to wash his disciples feet and this is significant because it's kind of the Passover meal um, you know in Jesus's action is, is kind of serving to, um, that, the, that the Passover meal itself, the way that they have perceived it to this point, uh, it no longer is serving that purpose. But instead, he is, pointing, um, he is pointing to a new act that is going to give that meal sustenance and, and meaning. You know, he has discussed the fact that he is going to the cross and he's pointing to it now. And he has discussed this many times about his death and that he's going to be the lamb of sacrifice to atone for our sins. You know, and that's what communion is remembering. That's what communion is remembering. He discussed this as he identified his body and his blood as the atonement from that point forward. And that the, you know, and if, if you're not familiar with Passover... You know, that when they do the Passover meal, it's to remember the Passover at that time in Egypt when, when they would slaughter a lamb. And they would take the blood of the lamb and paint it over their doorposts where God's wrath would pass over their household, but it would land on the households where the blood was not applied. And now he's pointing to the cross where he is the lamb. And the blood that was spilled on the cross, when we apply that God's wrath passes over us. And yeah, it falls on those who fail to apply it. At the cross, he is the lamb. And it gives that Passover a new meaning. But he also uses this moment of humility and servanthood. He uses this moment to rebuke the, the bickering that is going on with the apostles at this time and teaching them 
because in Luke 9, in Luke 9, um, right after the transfiguration, and they come down from the mountain, and the people gather, and this one man ran up to Jesus, and he wanted healing for his son because his son was possessed by a demon, and Jesus is performing the miracle, casting out the demons, and he told his disciples at that time that, that he is going to be delivered into the hands of men, speaking of his arrest and his crucifixion. And let's just read during this, this momentous time what the disciples were doing. Oh, Isaiah, I missed that. Or did I? I think I might be... Okay, maybe I don't have a, a thing for it. Um, in Luke chapter 9, again, what are the disciples doing at this time? It says this. It says that an argument arose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing with reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by, himself, by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. And again, we see a picture of that in Luke during the Passover meal, where again, Jesus is talking about what is going to happen to him. And again, a dispute breaks out among the disciples as to which one of them is going to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over you, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest, and the leader the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? For who is greater, but I among you is the one who serves. You know, He's pointing out that his rightful place is at the table. But he chooses to get up and he chooses to serve. And that's what people in power should do. And he challenges them by saying, if I, who am your teacher and your Lord, are willing to serve, hey, you're not above me. You're not better than me. So, so in that, humble yourselves. Do like I have done. Because that is what the Father loves. And we see that in Isaiah. Or, I got it. I am, something is wrong here. We see that in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 62. It says, God's talking about how he created everything. And, and he says, all things made in, says, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's the one I will look upon with favor. And let me just ask you, how different would our families and our marriages look if we truly practiced this? Because I think many marriages break down. Many marriages break down or have broken down because we get to a place that, that no longer is based on sacrificing for the other or serving the other, except it turns into looking out for our best interest. Instead of meeting their needs, we're focused on meeting our needs. And, and we start looking, again, to have them serve us and meet our needs. You know... Maybe we've always been that way instead of we just kind of became that way. Maybe we were always that way 
and our spouse finally really started to realize this and just grew tired of it. But how different would our families look if we were concerned with them? Because when we don't, we, we approach every situation and every conflict kind of as enemies of one another. Because we feel that we must defend our interests because you don't have my interest at heart. I've got to defend my welfare, protect my welfare because you don't. And we become adversaries in that marriage relationship rather than partners. How different would things look if we always felt that our partner had our best interest first and foremost, even at their own great personal cost? And I do think that that's one reason why when the scripture says that men are the head of their household, meaning that you're going to give account to the Lord for your family, that culture stands up and screams and there's such a negative connotation to, to male leadership in the family of the man being the head of the household and the women submit to their husbands because I think men, we have failed to lead as Christ leads the church. This isn't a license to seek your own interests. This isn't a license to get your way. What do the scriptures say to the husbands about leadership? It says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Laid down his life for her. Served her to the point of death. Husbands, love your wives in this manner. And are you serving your family first? Or are you seeking your own? We need to example servant love and leadership in our families. Again, do your families come first? Do your kids come first when they demand your attention? When you're watching TV and they come up and they need help with their homework or they just need your attention for a moment, do you pause the TV or stop the TV and meet their need? Or do you become angry and cast them aside? Jesus examples humility in love. We are to be loving servants. Loving to one another and loving to those who are against us. Jesus' leadership has always been loving. Timothy Keller, there's a quote in a book called Ministries of Mercy. And and Timothy Keller comes up with this. He's talking about the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he poses the question, what does it look like to love your neighbor as you love yourself? And he says, it means that you're willing to meet their need with the same determination, with the same sacrifice, and with the same joy that you are willing to meet your own. And Jesus demonstrated this act of love when he washed Judas' feet as well. He demonstrated that we are to love our enemies in the same manner that we're supposed to love our friends. How do we do? How do we do with our enemies? How do we do with those who differ from us? when it comes to demonstrating love? Do we really seek to understand them, have compassion and empathy for them? Or do we treat them with contention and with hostility? Just ask yourself, how well do we show love 
How eager are we to sacrifice our comforts to those that it's difficult to love or uncomfortable to love? I mean, Jesus washed the feet of Judas hours before he knew that Judas was going to go off and betray him and turn him over to the authorities where he would be beaten, tortured, crucified, and killed. And we need to remind ourselves that we need to be humble even before our enemies and before those who think differently because we're not better than anyone else. In one sense, we may be better off. We're not better than anyone else. And 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the important part. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And were some of you. And not some of you were these things. He's all of you were some of these things. You know, we need to remember that. We're not better. But we can have such an air of arrogance and superiority over others. And we need to be humble. We need to love them. Now, that doesn't mean that we embrace these things or endorse these things, but we show love. We show empathy and compassion concerning these things. Because again, in Isaiah, he says, this is whom I will look fondly upon. This is who I will look. He who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. We are to tremble, meaning we are to revere, we are to respect the word of God. But we're also supposed to show humility before those who think differently than we do. Or, or people that have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We don't back away from the truth. We don't back away from the truth. But we speak the truth in love with compassion. We don't compromise the word of God. We don't com- because... We don't compromise because we feel emotional about a subject or debate. And so we try to compromise the word of God to make ourselves feel better. That is the ultimate act of arrogance. Because in doing so, we're stating that what we want to be true supersedes what God has declared to be true. And again, we're attempting to dethrone his authority and replace it with our own. But we need to be humble. And we need to humble ourselves before God before we can ever humble ourselves before others. And Jesus examples humility in salvation. We need Jesus' leadership because it is our spiritual cleansing. It is our salvation. It is what is best for us. It is life itself. It's what we need. 
And there is so much symbolism going on within this foot washing text because in it, he is cleansing them of their filth. He is cleansing them of their filth as he washes their feet. He has removed his outer garments. He has wrapped a towel around him and he's bending down washing their feet and when he's drying it off, the filth from their feet is being transferred to his garment. You know, and that is such a beautiful picture of what took place on the cross. Our sin was transferred onto him where God judged it. And we have been washed by the blood within this judgment. We've got to be part of this cleansing. We've got to be part of this cleansing or we remain his enemy. I think often we see ourselves, um, before we come to Christ, I think we see ourselves as innocent in general before God. But the scriptures indicate that we were his enemies and we were in rebellion to him basically trying to overthrow his reign and strip him of his authority and replace ourselves or something else on his throne. And I don't think really until we receive his grace and until we receive his mercy that we understand his rightful place. But again, I do think that this is hard to receive. Because I think love is hard to receive. Humility, acts of humility are hard to receive because it humbles us. Even slight humility is difficult to receive. Think about this. You and your wife go out to dinner with another couple and the check comes and they say, let me get the check. What's the first thing you do? No, 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 let me get the check. No, let me, let me. So you argue back and forth. And if you get to the point that they give up first and they're paying the check, what is the thing that we do at that point? All right, I'll get the check next time. Because it is difficult for us to accept an act of love or accept an act of service or humility without the idea that maybe we can pay that back. And again, I think we can see this, even the simplest, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, when you were dating, and maybe that person you were dating told you they loved you, and you weren't quite ready for that yet. I love you. And you go, oh, thank you. You know, that is such an uncomfortable situation. That is such an uncomfortable situation. But if you're at that point where they say, I love you, and you can say, I love you too, there you go. Now we're even, everything's good. Receiving love, receiving acts of humility are humbling, and it's difficult. And I think part of the reason it's difficult when it comes to God is because of our arrogance. Because I think we see ourselves as good. And maybe we don't necessarily need his forgiveness or his pardon. Or when we understand our need for him, we understand that we don't deserve it. And we understand that we can't pay it back. So we must accept a love that we can't pay back. That's humbling. And the foot washing is a symbol of that saving, cleansing, and that model of Christian conduct. 
because the foot washing, when you see it, he washed Judas's feet. And, and that foot washing of Judas did not change Judas's heart. And in fact, no ceremonious act will do that. If you say a prayer at the end of the service, that's not necessarily going to change your heart. If you walk forward during a service to receive Christ, that's not necessarily going to change your heart. Only a truly contrite heart and a humbled heart, which maybe is communicated through those things, so I'm not disparaging those things, but these things in and of themselves, without the change of heart, will not change you. In fact, the fact that Jesus washed Judas' feet demonstrates Jesus' attitude of loving your enemies and treating them with dignity and that his sacrifice was given to all, but not all are going to receive it. And I just want to ask you, if you don't know Christ, will you? Will you receive it? Again, we may reject Christ because we reject the notion of being cleansed or even our need for it. And we understand the difficulty of receiving this act of humility, love, care, and sacrifice. But I'm telling you, it's available to all, but not all will avail it. And if that's you, will you? You know, at this very moment, you can move from being the enemy of God to becoming one of his children. And so I want to invite you to come forward during this next song when the band comes up and the prayer team's coming up right now. I want to invite you to come up and pray with our prayer team. Because if you don't believe in Jesus Christ to the point that you have submitted your life to him, come. You know, I want to say this too. It's more than an intellectual belief. It's more than just believing in God. It's more than even believing that Jesus is the Son of God and he died on the cross. Because the scriptures say, even the demons believe and they shudder. You can't truly place your faith in Christ without it changing you without it changing the way that you think, without the way that you live, without changing the way you prioritize things and place him at the top of your priority list. So come and make things right between you and God because he is humble, he is loving, he is kind, and he is waiting. And let me just close this in prayer. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you move into the hearts of your people and humble us, Lord. Let us see the, the true humility of you and how you serve to the point of laying down your life and you said that we should do the same. And Lord, I pray that you move in the hearts of those who don't yet know you let them understand fully their need for you and understand fully how you have met that need and let us humble ourselves before you in Jesus name Amen